Baruchim Abayim, welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number 98. Specifically, we've been discussing the subject of changing our midot, our character, changing the way we are, our essence. And last week we spoke about how the only way a person can change who they are is through their actions. We said that actions are the key to the person's heart. As a follow-up to that class, we must discuss a specific characteristic that a person must have in order for their actions to turn themselves into something much greater. It's a midah, it's a characteristic that may not be so familiar to people. It's something that I'm not sure if we would find it exactly as we're going to say it in the Musar books. So what gives me the right to tell you that I have a midah to share with you that is absolutely necessary for this area and success if it's not mentioned in the books, in the classic Musar books. You won't find it. So my strength and my ability to share with, it, with you today is that this was a question that was asked to the great Mashkiach, Rabbi Yahu Dessler, Zecher Tzadik Levracha. Someone asked him that if it were possible to acquire one midah, one characteristic, as we know there are many midot, when we say on, on Yom Kippur, on Selichot, we say Yag Midot, the 13 attributes of Hashem. So there are many Midot. So they asked Rab Dessler if there was one Midah that a person can acquire. If there's a wish that he can acquire just one. If he could snap his fingers and just get one of them. Which one should they choose? So I don't know what relevance that question has, meaning sounds like a philosophical question because we have to acquire all midot. You can't just acquire one and then say, well, I got one, I'm done. But you'll see in our class that it is relevant to know which one is the one he says that the midah that one should acquire first and the wish list one is the midah, what he calls Aikbiyut. Aikbiyut, Ayn Kof Bet Yud Vav Tav. It's not a word that we've, we've heard of Rahum, we've heard of compassionate, we've heard of Hesed, kind, we heard of Emet being truthful. We've heard of Erech Apaim, being patient. Probably any Midah that I would share with you, you've probably heard about once or twice or more. And here we come with a Midah that seems to be 
unheard of. It's a mysterious one. The Midah of Aikviyut. Says Rav Dessler in his Chokhmah, I'm not going today to discuss where he got it from. Surely he had some very good sources, or maybe he's saying one of the known Midot, but he's kind of putting it in a different light to help us understand how to use it. But that's not our subject today, where he got it from. Our subject today is to understand what he is talking about. What is this midav ekviyut that if I had a wish, this is the one I should wish for. This is the one that I want. I want the midav ekviyut, and he says, ki birlala, because if you have this one, yavo hakol, you'll have them all. So that's why you want to wish for the one that's the key to all midot. Basically, it means not if you have it, you have everything. But if you have it, you'll have the key to everything. It's something that you will need to be able to change all your midot. What exactly does the midah of ikviyut look like? What does the person who has it, what capabilities do they now have when you have ikviyut? Do you have ikviyut? Do I have ikviyut? What is that? So I'll try to be as clear as I can to explain it in a real-life situation. First of all, ikviyut means that you have the characteristic of continuing something that you started all the way till the end. Ikviyut means you don't stop. You started something, you want to accomplish something, you want to finish something, you go until the end. The question is, why would someone ever stop? If someone started something, obviously they want to finish. Why would you start something new in your life if you don't plan to finish? We don't usually <laughs> take things on if we don't believe in them. So anything in your life that you've taken on, whatever it might be, you only did it because you wanted to finish. Otherwise, you wouldn't have started. So why anyway would a person start something and not finish? The answer is that anytime a person is growing in some area in life, usually spiritual, but not only spiritual, it could be a new job, it could be a new relationship. Anytime a person is growing in their life, so usually when they start, they're excited. When they start, they have a strong desire to give it their all. You get a new job, you give it your all. You want to succeed. You want to make money. A person starts a spiritual journey in any specific area. They want to succeed. They want to be calm. They don't want to be angry anymore. They want to control their appetite. They don't want to lose control and eat everything in sight. Anything a person takes on, it's because they have a desire to do it. And that's how it starts. And of course, when you start, you want to end. There's no reason to start if you don't want to end. 
I want to be this calm person. I want to be this kind person. I want to be a person that can control myself. I want to invest in this job. I want to invest in this marriage. Nobody starts something without the desire to finish. And when it starts, it starts great. Because you have your heart in it and you give it your all. What will always happen somewhere along the line in whatever it is that you got excited to start with, what's going to happen at some point is that you're not going to be so into it. For whatever reason, it could have many different reasons why you fell out of your job. Maybe you don't like what you're doing. Maybe you're not getting paid enough. Maybe the boss isn't as smiley and kind to you as you would like. Maybe you don't like the commute. Maybe you don't like the hours. Whatever the reason. Or maybe you heard your friend in his job is making a lot more money. Or maybe his hours are much better. It doesn't make a difference really why. There could be many reasons why you fall out of something. Then comes that day and you walk in to your office or to your job and you're not into it. There comes a day when your growth in whatever it is that you're working on, you're not into it. You took on this program, you're going to control your anger. You said we're going to do it for 40 days straight. We spoke about last week. And then day one, you're doing great. Day two, you're doing better. By day 10, you're, you're wobbling. That's what happens. You take on upon yourself. I'm going to be in Minyan every day. I'm not going to miss one tefillah. You do great for a week or two. And then something happens. It could be laziness. It could be anything that affects your mood. And all of a sudden, the desire that you had two weeks before that gave you the strength to do things that maybe you weren't used to doing, all of a sudden aren't there. You fall out. You committed to a marriage and you're all excited. You're all into it. Your wedding day is there and you're all in. And then sometimes after, sometimes you fall out. It happens. Maybe it's a week. Maybe it's a month. Maybe it's a year. It doesn't matter when. But at some point, when you don't have that same excitement, obviously, what comes with it is a loss of energy and a desire to just either quit or maybe even worse than quit. I think there is something worse than quitting is that you do it, but you do it at much slower speed, which means you work the job, but you don't give it 10% or 20% of what you could. You're continuing the marriage, but you're not really invested in the marriage. You go to pray, but you really don't pray. You're like just going through the motions. Why could that be sometimes worse than stopping altogether? Because at least if you stop, so you know that you're not there. And maybe one day you'll realize, oh, I don't do that anymore. So I got to start doing it again. But when you do it at 20%, so you actually think that you're doing it. 
and it's not going. How come I'm not so into my tefillah? Of course you're not into your tefillah. You're 20%. You're basically reading words and can't wait to finish. You're not invested. How could you enjoy your tefillah? How could you connect to your tefillah if you're not invested in your tefillah? Maybe 100%, you can't be, but you got to be 90%, you got to be 80%. You can't operate in 10% in your tefillah and expect that your tefillah is going to pay you back and you're going to feel all the great feelings of your tefillah and the great effects of tefillah. It's not going to happen. And your job isn't going to be a great job when you're giving it 20%. It's obvious. Your marriage is obviously not going to work so great if you're at 20%. So I say sometimes it's better that a person takes a break. I'm not recommending that. But I'm saying that there is a value in maybe stopping then going at 10 or 20%. Because at 10 or 20% you actually think you're doing it. But, but I'm working and I'm not loving it. But you're not really working. But I'm praying and I don't really love it. But you're not really praying. I'm learning but I don't really love it. But you're not learning. What do you mean? I go and I show up and I have my Gemara, but you're giving it 20%. You're not there. You're not invested in life, in things that are important. If you're not invested, you're not going to make it work. It's a simple thing. You don't have to be invested to be an alcoholic. You don't have to be invested to be a drug addict. You don't have to be invested to be a gambler. You don't have to be invested to have a terrible marriage. You don't have to be invested. But if you want something in your life that is worthwhile, you're going to need to be invested. It has to be a full or near full investment. That's the way meaningful things happen in life. Invested doesn't just mean you do it. It means that you give it your all. Whatever you have. And again, if it's not 100, it's 90, 85, 80%. But you're giving things 10 or 20%, it should be no surprise that nothing is happening. So what happens to this person that got excited? I need to do this. I'm going to start. They start with a bang. And within some time, that bang is gone because their mood is gone for whatever reason and when their mood is gone they're either checked out or they're mentally checked out which doesn't give them the same energy in what they're doing and obviously that leads to failure Ekviyut means two things Ekviyut means that you continue what you started but not only continue what you started. The ability to give it your all as if you're into it. That nobody should see from what you do that you're not into it. That people should look at you and say, wow, I can't believe how into their tefillah they are. I can't believe how into their job they are. Now, in reality, you may not be into it. But ikviyut is a midah that gives you the ability to not only go forward, but go forward as if you were into it. Until you're able to come back to yourself. Because it will come back. But you can't drop the ball. 
Again, dropping the ball means either stepping away or it means slowing down. Either way is equal to dropping the ball. This midav ikviyut for the person who has it is a midah that will reach all the great things they want to achieve in life. In a high school class that I teach daily, I teach a few hours a day. So a few weeks ago, I went into the class and I shared with them this midah of ikviyut. It's one of the critical ones they need to know for life. So I had to make sure that one of the classes is going to focus on it. And we spent two hours on it. Longer than here. Don't feel so bad. I'm giving you here the short version. Anyway, when I walked into the classroom, I said, I want to ask you boys. I said, do you know that sometimes I come into this class in the morning and I'm not in the mood to teach you? I said, really, Rabbi? It's not nice. I can't believe it. Really? Not in the mood? I said, yes, yeah, sometimes I'm not in the mood. I have a Gemara. I'm learning in my office. I'm in something and all of a sudden I got to close the book and go teach you guys. I'm not in the mood. I could be not in the mood for many reasons. They were very disappointed. I said, I want to ask you a question. Did you ever realize in this year that I came in and I wasn't in the mood? So they said, no. I said, that's called ikviyut. Ikviyut is a midah that if you have it, you never do something and look like you're not in the mood. It doesn't matter what you're doing and how little you want to do it. It makes no difference. If you know you need to do it, and it's part of what is important in your life, you give it your all, and it doesn't matter that you're not in the mood. You still have to act like you're in the mood, and then all of a sudden the energy comes. A person who walks into his house after a day's work and is not in the mood, they're not in the mood to talk. They're not in the mood to sit down and have a conversation or a discussion. They're not in the mood to smile. They're not in the mood to do anything. They just want to go to a couch, lay down, and do nothing. Now, there's definitely room in a person's life to do that. But very often, that's not the right way to walk into your house. You're not in the mood. Guess what? You have to make believe you're in the mood. Nobody, not your children, not your spouse, should see you walking into the house like a rag. Nobody should make that assessment from the way you are behaving. You are hurting the people in your family. You're giving them a feeling of maybe weakness or maybe a feeling that you're not as strong or positive or maybe things aren't as good. You're the security guard of the home. And the security guard is all frustrated. What are the people in the home going to do? You have to realize that you walk into your home, people are looking at you. 
People are learning from you. They're going to follow in one way or another your ways. You cannot weaken them when you walk in because you're not in the mood. So you just drop down and say, I'm not in the mood. Don't talk to me now. I'm upset. I had a hard day. That is not ikviyut. That's the lack of ikviyut. We can understand you had a hard day and we can appreciate it. But nobody has to know that. You have to follow through until your job is done and then you could do whatever you want. But fulfilling your responsibility that you want to fulfill, that you took upon yourself, is of utmost importance. That is the midah of ikviyut. Again, ikviyut means <clears throat> on the road to reach my goal in any area of life, I want to have my great marriage, I have to invest. I want to have great children, I have to invest. I want to have a great job, I want to invest. I want to be a great person, I want to have great character, I want to invest. I want to pray and I want to get the most of my tefillah, I got to invest. I want to learn, so I want to get the most out of my learning, so I got to invest. There's nothing in life that you could do great without investing. So you started and you're ready. At that point, you don't need ikviyut to start. But as it becomes difficult for whatever reason, and you're going to want to either slow down or stop, Ikviyut comes and says, wait a second, don't you remember why you did this? Ikviyut on a deeper level is following your brain and not your feelings. You see, the brain is very, very, very much set. When you learn plus one plus one equals two, that stays for life. There's no morning that you woke up and said, hmm, maybe it's three. Never. Never change your mood when it comes to truth. When it comes to sechel, the things don't change. One plus one is two always. Whatever you learned and understood stays always. It doesn't change. The sechel of a person, the mind of a person, is not moody. Sechel is straight. Either you get it or you don't get it. But if you get it, it's there. It's not changing. If you don't get it, you may have to work harder. Or maybe it's not true. But whatever is in there, and you consider it a fact and true, it doesn't change. But the feelings of a person are not like that. Our feelings are constantly changing. You never know when you wake up or in the middle of the day. It could be caused by something or it could just come out of the blue. Whatever it is, feelings are fleeting. They're always moving. They're changing. You might be in the mood this morning and tonight you're not in the mood. That's just the way feelings are. Feelings are important in life, but they can never lead the way. If you let your feelings lead the way, so when you're not in the mood to learn today, or you're not in the mood to be a great mom today, or you're not in the mood to be a great wife today, or a great husband today, when you're not so in the mood, to pray today, so then I don't pray because I'm not in the mood. But you have to know moods and feelings are not dependable or reliable. You cannot rely on your moods. Sechel is reliable. 
your mind is reliable. If you decided to do something with your mind, so as you go through it and your moods change, you have to have the power to identify with your mind and realize there's a reason why I did this. There's a reason why I started this. I had a goal in mind. I wanted to achieve something. There's a reason why I went to work. It doesn't matter. I'm not in the mood. I have to go with my brain and not with my feelings. Feelings are important as an add-on to the brain, but they cannot be the leader. You let your, your, your feelings be the leader of your life, you're going to be a mess because you never know what you're going to feel at any given moment. So really, if we look at ikviyut in a deeper sense, it's the ability to follow your mind over your feelings. When your feelings are checked out, or they went low, you go back to your mind and say, one second, there's a reason why I did this. I want something, I know exactly what I wanted, and I still want it. And even though I'm not in the mood, I'm going all the way. That's the midah of ikviyut. That's what Rav Dessler says, is the midah that you need to have in order to get everything. Because everything that you will do will require longevity. It's going to require you to stay the course. And in that course, you're for sure going to have some time that you're not into it. And that is the breaking point of whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. It's so amazing how wise people are capable of telling us these unbelievable messages with a few words. Says Shalomo HaMelech in Mishle, Lev Reshaim Reshaim are people who end up in a bad place. Reshaim, by the way, are not necessarily people with bad intention. Reshaim are just people who failed in life. So says Shalom Melech, Lev Reshaim, what's in the heart of Rasha? In other words, why did he fail? What is it about him that made him fail? Says Shalom Melech. Now, you, me and you would say, Rasha, why he failed? Look what he does. Look what he's involved in. Look at this. Look at that. But wise people are able to go in depth and depth and depth and find the point that brought all of that evil that you see. All of that difficulty, all of the failures that me and you see, we see external. Wise people can go all the way in and say, it's because of this. That's why all of that is happening. What is that? Says Shalom Melech, Lev Reshaim Kimat. Kimat. What does that mean, Kimat? Kimat means it quickly changes. He's in the mood today, tomorrow he's not in the mood. Lev Reshaim means what defines a failure in life is not a person who doesn't want better, it's not a person who doesn't want more. What defines a failing marriage isn't that people get married to fail. What defines a failing home isn't people who decided we're going to have failures. Any area in life that we start, we don't want to fail. So why do people fail? 
says Shalomo HaMelech, because their lev is kimat. Kimat means it could quickly change. Like everybody's lev can quickly change. But the problem is the reshaim, or the failures, they don't stand up when that, cha when that change happens. And they allow their lift to change and change them and change the course of their action. And of course, ultimately, whatever they do is going to fail. In Yeshayahu, the Navi says, Vehareshaim, the failures of life, Kayam Nigrash. He compares them to the ocean. Kayam Hazeh. Like this ocean, says the Mitzudot, Asher Bechol Et. What does failures have to do with an ocean? What does that mean? If I had more time, I'd let you think about it. But we have no time. But let, what does that mean? The, the Reshaim, failures in life, are like the ocean. Says the Mitzudot, what is it about the ocean? Asher Bechol Et. If you ever saw the ocean, you see always min haruah. Always the wind is blowing the ocean. Umitnadned begalav, and the waves of the ocean are always either up or going down, up and down. Kilo behashket That the ocean can never be calm like a lake is calm. The oceans are not calm. The waves are constantly going up and down. What does it have to do with failures? Says the, the prophet Yeshayahu. Hareshaim kayam nigrash ki hashket lo yuchal. He's not able to be relaxed. He's not able to be consistent. There's no consistency in the ocean. There's ups and downs. That's what makes a failure in life, when they're up and down. Now, granted, our feelings could sometimes be up and down, but we can't be up and down. We may not be in the mood to teach today, but that can never show on our face. We may not even be in the mood to talk to someone, but that can never show on our face. That can never come out through our actions. But the failures in life, every day you wonder who's coming today. Who's coming in the house today? They're in a good mood. They're not in a good mood. They feel good. They want to talk. They don't want to talk. They want to engage. They don't want to engage. That's not the kind of person that makes it in life. When they're like the ocean. When their actions are constantly changing with their moods. That, according to Yeshayahu and Navi, and Shalomo HaMelech, is the definition of failure. Is when a person is constantly going up and down. That's why the Gemara says in Masechet Nedarim, Reshaim, the failures of life, Mele'ot or Mele'im, they're filled with what? With Haratot, with regret. Failures are filled with regret. Why are they filled with regret? Because every time they want to do something, you know, we look at failures as people who don't even want to do good. That's not true. They want to do good. But every time they try, at some point, the wind comes and blows them down. So they have regrets. They feel so bad. 
another regret, another regret. And they never make it. They're full of regrets because they never get to finish what they wanted to achieve. So beautifully is this said in the beginning of Sefer Tehillim, famous words of David HaMelech comparing the successful person, the great person, to the failure. Says, says in his first perek, David HaMelech, Vehaya, he says, the great person will be ke'etz, like a tree, shatul, that is planted, very strong, al palgemaim, with the waters that are constantly, the streams of water around that tree, giving it life. What about the failure? Lo ken By the way, that etz shatul, that tree that is well planted in the ground, that's not moving. Sometimes the winds come, but they're not moving anywhere. What happens to that tree? Asher pirio yitem be'ito. That kind of tree, referring to a great person, they will give their fruits in the right time. Ve'alehu lo yibol. You'll never see that the leaves are drying up or withering. There's a person in life that no matter when you see them, they always look like they're at their best. They always look like they're having a great day. They always look like life is just perfect. Alehu lo yibol. They will never show you a leaf that is drying up. And therefore, because they're solid, and because they're not moving like the ocean, whatever they do, they will succeed. Whatever, everything that they do, everything and anything they touch, they will succeed. Because they want to succeed, that's why they started, and they have ikviyut, to be able to hold on with the full strength. Lo ken harsha'im. Says David HaMelech, oh the failures, they're not like that. Not at all like that. So what do we compare them to? Ki im kamots asher tidefen ruach. They're like the chef, like the very, very light junk on the tree that comes the ruach, comes the wind, and just blows them away. When they don't have any substance, when they have nothing in them, they get blown away and then they're gone. That is David Melech's description of a, pe of a person that is a failure. He is a person that doesn't have the strength to be strongly rooted in the ground and therefore they're getting blown away when the ruach, when the moods of this world come into his avodah, into his journey. This is the reason, says the great Rav Chaim Shmulevitz, Zecher Tzadik Levracha. He says that's the reason why people fail in yeshiva. There are many people who go to yeshiva and succeed and become these jewels, these beautiful people that you could drool if you look at them and see how they are in their life. But unfortunately, there are people that go to yeshiva and really leave a lot to be desired. 
You say, they went to yeshiva. They went to such a holy place, and that's what they became? Sometimes we get disappointed in the yeshiva. And I'm not sticking up for every yeshiva. But very often it has nothing to do with the yeshiva. It has to do with the person. It has to do with the person's incapability of following through. Because in yeshiva, like everything in life, if you're not going to make it on the hard days, you're not going to make it. And you're going to have hard days. And you're going to have to know how to pull through. That is the mashber. Mashber means what breaks a person in the yeshiva, what turns him from a failure, not the yeshiva, him, that he's not capable of pushing through when things are not so easy. And what happens when you don't push through? Either you stop or you take a break. Neither one is so good. And you'll say, what's wrong with taking a break? So this goes back to what I said last week. Last week, we learned that if you do something consistently for 40 days, if that's the number, maybe it's more, maybe it's less, that's not the point. Forget the number 40 now. The point is if you're consistent for a period of time and continuing to do something, it will become yours. 40 days straight of a real tefillah, an invested tefillah, from now on, a different tefillah. 40 days invested in your learning, 40 days invested in anything that you do. And we said last week, what happens if you mess up one day? Well, you gotta start again. But, said, well, but what do you mean? I did 38. I was good. So I took one day off. Now I'll do two more. It's not like that. And if you wonder, could that be? Come on, does that make sense? Because I slipped one day, so now I ruined the consistency. Did I really ruin the outcome? Because one day or two days in the middle, I messed up. So let me tell you what it's like and tell me if it works or doesn't work. You have a person who puts on the stove top some water to heat up. So let's say he heats up, he wants to get to 200 degrees. That's what he needs. So he puts it on. After a minute, it gets to 100. He takes it off. He waits for three minutes, puts it back on. Gets to 100 again and takes it off. And he keeps doing that. He put it on the flame for days. But every time it gets to 100, he takes it off. When will that pot get to 200 degrees? The answer is never. But you'll say, well, what do you mean? You know how long it was on the fire? You understand it's been on the fire for hours and hours and days it's been on the fire. How can something be on the fire for so much time and never hit 200 degrees? Uh, you're right. It's a good question. It's a good question. But it's reality. Reality is... If it doesn't stay on the fire consistently, it's not getting to 200. It's not boiling. And that's not only in water. That's life. If you're not going to be consistent, if you're broken up like the waves up and down, you're never going to reach the boiling point of your success. And you'll say, but I don't stand. I've been praying a thousand times. You're right. Every three days, I'm not so into it. But that's the problem. 
you're not allowing your tefillah to boil. You're not allowing whatever you're doing to boil. Because you keep taking a break. You can't take breaks. But I'm not in the mood. I know. Ekviyut. You got to be like you're in the mood. You got to give the energy like you're in the mood. That's the only way greatness is going to work. You have to put one brick after another. You take one brick, one day you put it up, next day you put it down. Next day you put it up, next day you put it down. You're never having a building. It's never going to happen. You need to consistently build one brick at a time. We see in the Torah such a mindset in a number of areas. I'd like to bring you a couple. I think everybody here has heard about the halakha of those who murder when they were negligent. A person kills somebody because they were not careful. They were driving 100 miles per hour in a 20 mile per hour zone and they end up killing somebody. So they didn't mean to kill them. It wasn't meditated murder. For that is a different punishment. But it was a person who was not careful. What do we do with your person? He needs help. So we send him to one of the 48 cities of refuge in the land of Israel. They're called Are Miklat, cities of refuge. He has to go there, he has to run away. If he doesn't stay in that city, the family members could kill him. He's not safe outside of that city. And he's not allowed to be outside that city. He has to stay in that city. Until the Kohen Gadol dies, his place of living is there. There's no vacation. He can't fly somewhere. He can't go on a boat somewhere. He's got to stay in that city. These are the 48 cities of the Levim. That's where he goes. Now, here's an interesting halakha that maybe you didn't know about this fellow who's spending his time in Ir Miklat. The Gemara says in Masechet Makot, listen to this Gemara. Gemara says that this man, this person, Eno Yotze Misham Le'olam. He can never leave this city. Okay, we said that already. But no, but the Gemara gives examples. Lo le'edut mitzvah. Let's say they need him to testify for a mitzvah. He saw the moon. He wants to go to Betin to tell them it's Rosh Chodesh. Can't go. Lo le'edut mamon. Can't go testify to help somebody who has a lawsuit. He could lose millions of dollars. And the other guy is suing him. He has witnesses. But the guy is sitting in Eir Miklat. All you need to do is get him here to testify. And you have your money. Not allowed to testify. The guy may lose millions of dollars, but you can't go. Lo le'edut nefashot. If you have testimony and a capital case, cannot go. Listen to this. Ve'afilu Yisrael serichim lo. Let's say the Jewish people need this man. Why would they need him? Like what? Let's say he's a, he's, a, he's a great leader. Let's say he's a great thinker. Let's say he's a great orator. He gives a lot of hezuk. Cannot go out. Afilu says the Gemara. Sar tzava. 
He is the head of the army. He is the general, the head of the army. Keyoav ben Seruya, famous general of Am Yisrael. And they're going to war. And they need their general. He's the guy. He cannot leave. But what do you mean? The Jewish people are in danger. They go fight on Shabbat. They fight on Kippur. They have to. It's a life and death situation. What, what do you mean the guy can't leave Ir Miklat? Eno yotze misham le'olam. Sham tehe dirato. That's where he has to live. Sham tehe kvurato. That's where he's buried unless he gets out when the Kohen Gadol dies. He can never leave for any reason. What a surprising halacha. The Jewish Imagine this happened today. The Jewish people are in danger. They are enemies that want to destroy us and we have a man who is the top of the top to lead us into the war and we say, oh no, we can't because Eir uh, Miklat, he's in Eir Miklat. So let him go out. We also mehalel Shabbat because we can't fight a war. But we have to, we have no choice. So what, what, what does this mean? Why don't we let him out? And don't say because, uh, you know, maybe his life's going to be put in danger. When they brought him to Eir Miklat, there's a whole procedure. They bring some people with him to make sure they watch him, that nobody should kill him. So they could figure out a way to have a system where he has some protection, has some bodyguards. Am Yisrael is capable of some good ideas to protect his life. Why doesn't he go out? It's a very strong question. Some explain beautifully that this man is sent to Ir Miklat. Not, it's not a random city they send him to. Why specifically these cities? These are the cities of the Leviim. What is the Leviim's job in Am Yisrael? Their job is Torah and Torah and Torah. That's what they do. Yoru mishpatecha le'Yaakov ve'toratecha le'Yisrael. Hashem gave Shevet Levi. From all the Shevatim, they have a specific job. Their job is to uphold the Torah and to teach the Torah. They're supposed to be the symbol of Torah and Am Yisrael. That's what Shevet Levi is. Hashem put them all over the country, in all these cities, so that they'll be able to influence all of Am Yisrael. He goes into that city, says the Sefer HaChinuch, Hashem says to go into that city because that's the way he's going to recuperate. That's the way he's going to rehabilitate. Today, a person does something wrong, they put him in jail. You go to jail, you find people that are worse than you. So you go in as criminal on a number one level, you walk out a five-star criminal. What do you think they talk in jail about? Oh, you only killed two people? <laughs> that's nothing. I killed 20. You only killed 20. Are you kidding? I killed hundreds of people. In jail, they don't have, uh, it's not words of Musar being uh, discussed. They're not talking about Mesilat Yesharim in jail. That's not what happens when criminals get together. They start sharing what they've accomplished in their life. So you walk in as a criminal and you walk out much worse than you came in. I forget the number of the criminals that go to jail and go back in jail. I, I believe it's something like 
Jail is not a rehab place. If anything, people, they get worse. I'm not saying you should put them in jail. That's the only solution we have. But it would be much better if you can actually put them somewhere and they come at normal people. That would be the best. Well, says the Sefer HaChinuch, that's why we send these people to Ir Miklat, so they could spend time around the Levim. They could spend time with people who have different priorities, who understand what life's all about. They could start hearing Musar, they could hear, they could go learning, they have a neighbor, they have a, a rabbi, they have whatever it might be that they need to uplift themselves. So why can't you go out if we need you for war? Because this fellow has to stay in this place without interruption. Spending a year in Ir Miklat is not like spending six months break and six months. Once you go out, you've interrupted your ability to gain from this place. You're in this place, you're in a rehab center for your soul. And you need to be here as long as Hashem thinks that you need to be here. If you break it up, it's not just that, oh, you took a break, so you'll make it up later. No, you have caused an interruption in your avodah and you won't be able to gain your rehab if you break it into two parts. Nobody is able to leave because we need to first make him a human being. And he could only get there if it happens all the way through and through. No breaks. No vacations, no wars. This is, this is what separates, as we mentioned, great people and great failures. So many stories in the Torah really focus on this point. I'll bring you a famous one. Story of Ruth, a princess that comes from Moab. She's in her country. She is the daughter of the queen. She lives in the palace. She has money. She has security. She has comfort. She has fame. <laughs> she has everything that anyone would wish for. But now she decides and she sees clearly that the way of life, the emet, is the Torah. She's around it. She understands it. And she tells her mother-in-law, she lost her husband already, she says, I am staying with you, but I'm going back to Israel. I have nothing. I have no money. I have no children for you. So I'm going back to Israel by myself. There's no purpose of you coming. Just stay here. Stay with your family. You have everything going for you. She's convincing her, just stay back. And she keeps going and she keeps going. Why does she keep going? Because she believes that she is doing the right thing. But what about when it gets hard? What about on the road? When she sees that travel is not so easy when you're traveling with no money. She's not going business class. She's not going on a private jet. She's not going in economy. She's walking and they have no money. They have no place to stay. They have to beg people for food. Along the way, you have any idea how hard it became for her? She goes into Eretz Yisrael. People look around and say, Oh my goodness, that's Naomi? That's the princess Naomi? She used to be this very hashu woman 
with a family, with money. She lost everything. She lost her husband. She lost her children. She lost her money. This is Naomi. Could you imagine what Ruth felt like when people saw her mother-in-law and that's the way they reacted to her? And the way she had to go beg? Nobody came to support her. She had to go beg for food. Ruth was going to beg. Could you imagine a princess going to beg for money? We've seen people beg. That's not a hidush. But someone who is the daughter of the king, that all they have to do is just go back home. We haven't seen them beg. And she's begging and begging. She has the midah of ikbiyut, something her sister Orpah did not have. Orpah also wanted, also saw the truth, also was coming along. But as it got more difficult, she came back. Who can blame her? But Ruth stuck till the end. It is for this reason that Ruth was chosen to be the mother of royalty. That is why she's the mother of David Melech. The Pasuk says in Melachim, Vayasem kiseh le'em ha'melech. When the king Shalomo sat on his throne, he put a chair for the mother of the king. And Hazal say, who's this mother? They say, this is Ruth. That she lived a long life even till Shalomo ha'melech. This woman, her greatness was not that she saw the truth. It was that she stayed with it, even though it was difficult. Every journey to greatness has difficulty. Unfortunately, most people get off the train. Most people step away and never realize what they could have, what could they, what they could have been. That's why David Melech says so beautifully, Mi ya'ale behar Hashem. Who is capable of rising, taking steps to go up higher in life. It's not so easy to grow in life, to start taking steps upwards. You have to go to many classes like this and you have to have many experiences till you decide, you know something? I need to go up. I need to get stronger. There's much more to my life than this. Says David Melech. it's not so easy to decide to go up. The mountain of Hashem, meaning who the mountain of greatness. But perhaps even more difficult is even as you're decided, okay, I'm going up, I'm done. I'm going up, I heard enough, I've experienced enough, I need more in my life. I'm going up. I'm going to up everything in my life. My tefillah is going to be a tefillah. My avodat Hashem is going to be real. My marriage is going to be awesome. My everything is going to be awesome. I am going up. That's beautiful. But says David Melech, wait, great job. It was hard to get to be that. But wait, there's another me coming up. I was doubting that you could even go up. I said, Mi who can actually do this? Everyone's used to their life. They don't want to change. They don't want to do anything different. It's so comfortable just being you. Who wants to take on new things? That's why people don't like to change. Says David, Mi who really is capable of deciding, I'm stepping up. 
Now you finally did it. Beautiful. Says David HaMelech, I'm standing for you. Standing ovation. Beautiful. But wait, sit down again. Because I have one more thing. Umi Yakum. Who's able to stand. Bimkom Kocho. Which means you've reached a place of success, a place of holiness, a place of greatness. Beautiful. You're climbing. Who's able to stand there? Who's able to continue to hold on without falling? That too is a very big challenge. There are two areas in life that are needed to reach greatness. You got to go up, but you also learn. You have to know how to stay up. You can't be like the waves of the ocean. There is a Gemara in Masechet Megillah that it's worth for every single person to study. At first, when you see this Gemara, it doesn't seem to be very impressive. It's exciting, but not so impressive. The Gemara and Dav Chavzain over there discusses a number of people, a number of great people, that lived very long lives, and I assume good lives. I assume when they lived long life, it wasn't like long life by a, by a coma or in a hospital. They lived a long, good life. And in every one of their situations, there was a student or somebody who asked them, so what was the merit that you had to live a long Wonderful life. Nice. So the Gemara basically reports all of these stories together. What happened by that? Right? They weren't together in a room. It was just different times in history where people were asked this question and what did they reply? So it's nice. It's a very exciting thing to learn. What these great people attributed their long good life. What's disappointing is when you see their answers. Especially when you know who some of these people were. For example, Sha'alu Talmidav et Rabbi Zakai. There was a great man, Rabbi Zakai, and his students asked him, Bema he'erachtayamim. Tell us, Rabbi Zakai, our Rebbe, tell us. How did you merit this long, awesome life? He says, Amar lahem, miyamai. He says, in my entire life. He says a few things. I'm not going to go through all of them. I'll just say one, for example. Lo kiniti shem lahaverai. I never gave someone a nickname. I never called someone by a name that wasn't their name. I never said a descriptive kind of name. I never called him a name that somebody else gave him. I never did that. Say, what? Rabbi Zakai, you're a Rosh Hashiva. You have Talmidim. You're a great man. You did a lot of great things in your life. So it's very disappointing when you see the answer. That's it? So if I live my life and I don't call someone by a nickname, that's how you live a long, great life? He says, I never 
I never not made Kiddush. Okay, big deal. Me too. I also didn't make Kiddush. Like, what's the big deal? That's what I say. It's a little disappointing. Like you're waiting to hear to say, oh, yeah, I did. I learned Shas ten times. Oh, you have no idea the mitzvah I did of Kibbut Avaim. I laid down the floor. My mother stepped on my back for miles. You're expecting like these unbelievable things. And like you're reading, what? That's all you did? They asked, Sha'alu Talmidav, et Rabbi El Azar ben Shamua, this great man, Rabbi El Azar ben Shamua, they asked him, Tell us, Rabbi, what was your zechut for a long life? He says, Amar lahem, Miyamai, I never, lo asiti kapandria lebeta keneset. I never used the shul as a shortcut. Like it was raining, and I could have gone through the shul to the other side, and I would not get wet. I never used a shul as a shortcut. Whoa, Rabbi Elazar, come on. Haven't you done like more amazing things in your life than this? Velo pasati al rashe am kodesh. He's also my life. I never stepped over someone's head. I'm not supposed to step over people's head. I, n- I never did that. Okay. Again, if I didn't tell you the names of these people, you think like there's some like ignorant people who like, that's like what you hear at a funeral of people who didn't accomplish anything. Like they're trying to dig for things. Like they say, oh, this guy, uh, he put on tefillin almost every day. Okay. That, like when you hear things like that, you realize there's not much here. It's the guy that, that if that's the thing. I mean, it's very nice to put on tefillin every day. But there's more that we could talk about than putting on tefillin. Oh, you don't know. One time we saw him on the street and he gave a person charity. Okay, that's it. It seems to be like very, very minute compared to the giants that were saying it. Here. Sha'alu Talmidav et Rabbi Pereda. Famous Rabbi Pereda, the great rabbi, they asked him, How did you get a long life? Amar lahem, he said to them, Mi yamai, I never lo berachti lefne kohen. I never made a beracha, berkat amazon, before kohen. Kohen goes first. Who makes the zimun? Kohen. I never made zimun when a kohen was there. Again, shocking. Shocking. Oh, he says also, nobody ever beat me to the Bet Midrash. I was always first. I was always the one that opened. And there's more of this. I don't want to bore you. But there's more of this. They asked Rabbi Akiva. Oh, sorry. He, Rabbi Akiva asked Rabbi Nehonia. He says, Yamim. How did you live a long life? He told them, Miyamai. He says, Miyamai. Lokibalti matanot. I never accepted gifts. Says in the Pasuk, Sone matanot yahya. You should not be a lover of gifts. Sometimes there's no choice, and sometimes you need to, and sometimes your acceptance of the gift is for the person giving it to you. But you, yourself, should not want gifts. He says, in my whole life, I never accepted a gift. They asked Rabbi Yoshua ben Korha, How about you? He says, I never looked at the face of an evil person. Never saw their face. See, by the way, from here, 
looking at evil people, at Rishaim, is not good just to look at them. And more. What is the story with this Gemara? Why are the answers so disappointing when we're talking to great people? These are great people. These are Tanaim and Emuraim. Why did they not talk about their awesome accomplishment? And I saw something so beautiful about this Gemara that if you notice, there is one thing in common in all of them, and that's the word miyamai. Miyamai means I never did something. You see, the point of all of their answers is not so much that it was so big, but they never, ever did it. Is there anything in your life that you could say, I never did that? You could say, I usually don't do that. I hopefully won't do that. Is there anything in your life that you could say, I never did that? Never. Not usually. I never did it. The key word here is never. How do you become a never person? I never do that. I never cross that line. I never say those words. In America, very often we compare ourselves to a baseball team. You see, in baseball, if a guy hits three hits every, time, every ten times he goes up to bat, ten times he went to bat, he struck out seven times. And he hit the ball three times and he got a hit. They will call this guy a Hall of Famer. Why is he a Hall of Famer? Because he's a 300 hitter. 300 hitter, but seven times you struck out. Every seven times you strike out. So for baseball, it's fine. But unfortunately, we take that attitude into life. We say, yeah, we're, we're usually, I, I usually pray. I usually talk nice. I usually don't get angry. I usually don't call people's name, people names. I usually don't. I usually don't. Me am I is the difference. Miyamai needs a gviyut. Miyamai means I never cross that line. When you never cross the line of anything, that anything could become your legacy for a long life. Even more perhaps than the great things that you accomplished. Because this one, Miyamai, you never cross that line. I, imam I imagine that Miyamai started when he realized how important that thing is. I can't imagine it started when he was a bar mitzvah boy or before he knew about it. But the minute I realized that this is not right, miyamai, I never crossed that. What's the value of miyamai? The value is called ikviyut, that you stay with it regardless of the circumstance. The pasuk says in, in Shira Shirim, Im homahi which means if a person is like a homa, a homa means a powerful wall. If you're a powerful wall and you don't move when the wind comes, if that's the kind of person you are, that you stick with what you're supposed to be doing, such a person who's a homa, you could build on that homa a palace of silver. 
most gorgeous palace. Ve'im deleti, but if a person is like a door, a door doesn't stay, a door opens and closes. Im deleti, if you're like a door, natsur aleha luach ares, you can have like a shack made of wood. That's all you could build on top of such a person. A homa is a person with ikviyut. Rav Dessler is saying it's like the hammer that builds the building. True, it's not the hammer that you need. It's not the hammer that you want. You want the building, but you can't build it without the hammer. Ikviyut is the hammer that you need for any great accomplishment in life. I saw a beautiful story about a great man who I think a lot of people are familiar with his books. Rav Shem Shem Pinkis Zecher Tzadik Levracha. He's a very dynamic speaker. Some great books that they wrote from his words, from his lectures. He passed away at a young age, actually, tragically. And one time he was invited in his city, he lived in Ofakim. In Israel, he was invited to a siyum. There was a group of people in a shul that took upon themselves to learn together the halachot of Lashon Hara from the Hafez Hayim, Shmirata Lashon. And after they finished, I don't know if it took them a year or two, they invited the rabbi to come for the siyum. And the rabbi got up to speak. And he says, you know, a couple of years ago, we sat here and we spoke about how a person needs to learn the halachot of Lashon Hara. Two years have passed, he said, and you gentlemen were matzliah to continue learning day after day. You finished the book. He says... A beautiful thought, which until he said it, I didn't realize it, but it's so logical what he's saying. You know, you go to Siyum. I'm sure you've attended Siyumim. A person learns something, he finishes it. He learns a Gemara, maybe 20, 30 pages, he finishes it. Siyum. Let's make a Siyum, a celebration. We finished. But by the way, there are people learning a much bigger Masechet, like some Masechet, like 150 pages. So they're already in page 146 and they still didn't make a seum. You did 25 pages, you're making a seum. How does that make sense? I'm learning for years. I'm on page 145. I didn't make a seum. You're on page 25. You get to seum. You get to celebrate. I don't get to celebrate. Why? You could learn five masechto, 30 pages each. You make five seumim. I finish, I make one seum. Why? He says something so beautiful. He says, I think, Rafinka says, it is my opinion. He says that the simha of a siyum isn't so much on the learning. Of course, we're coming to celebrate learning, but it's more so on that you finished. You started and you finished. That is the celebration of a siyum. It's not so much that you're celebrating the learning of it. Of course, that's obvious. But if it was only the learning, maybe we should make a siyum on every daf, on every page, and every 30 pages. What does that have to do with the book? 
The siyum is special because you started something and you finished it. That is a sign of greatness and that's reason to celebrate. Which, by the way, helps us understand something that we say at the siyum. At the siyum, we pray those who finish. So they just finished the masachet. So they say like this. It's one of the prayers by a siyum that people sometimes don't pay attention to because they're busy celebrating. Or maybe they don't understand the words. But here's one of the statements that the Messiah makes. Next time you're a siyum, try to hear, listen for it. They say, Hashem, it should be your will. Please help me. Listen to this. Keshem she'azartani, just like you helped me, lesayem to finish masechet berachot. Let's say you finish berachot, just like you helped me to finish masechet berachot. Without Hashem's help, you can't finish anything. So just like you helped me to finish masechet berachot, Ken ta'azreni, please help me lehatil to begin masechtot. Please help me start and finish other books. Let me say it again. The same way you help me finish this Masechet, please help me start and finish another Masechet. Something doesn't fit. Did Hashem help you to start or He doesn't help you to start? Well, if you look at the end of the statement, it sounds like we need Hashem not only to finish, but we need Him to start too. Because you're asking, Hashem, please help me start and finish. So how come when you thanked Him for the past, you only said, thank you for helping me finish? Why didn't you say, thank you for helping me start and finish? Again, if you don't need help to start, so why are you asking for the future? And if you need help to start, why don't you start? Why don't you thank Him for the past? Why are you leaving out that word? So I saw a most beautiful explanation on this request. And that is very much to do with our subject. That when a person starts for the first time, the Yetzirah says, Go ahead. It's fine. Start whatever you want. Start. Go. Take it on. Tomorrow morning. 5.30. No problem. He could care less if you start. Because he knows his customers. And he knows that the majority of humanity starts and never finishes. So he says, go ahead. You don't need that much help from Hashem to start. Because the Yetzirah doesn't really care to stop you. In fact, he'd rather you start and not finish, so you never start again. And you never think about it again, because you'll be from those people who say, yeah, been there, done that, eh, not for me. I tried it, I tried it. I used to go to classes, it's not for me, eh, not for me. He'd rather you start. Go ahead, start. Go, fall on your face. Go ahead. You don't need help to start for the first time. Not only in learning and anything. Go ahead, start. Go to classes, start doing things, start becoming more tzanua, start praying better, start, don't worry, just start. No problem. He knows what's coming up. But now, 
you finished. Whoa. Oh, you're from those people who start and finish? Oh, the next Masechet, he's going all out. He doesn't want you to start. That's why for the one that passed, the first one, you don't have to thank Hashem for helping you start. Because you don't need Hashem's help. He doesn't stop you. So you say, thank you for helping me finish. But now the next one, the Yetzirah is coming all out at you. You're from those people? You're the finisher kind? You better not start. And that's why you need help from Hashem to start now. I have to share with you something so beautiful and so relevant and uplifting. Gives me tremendous hayzuk. We all need hayzuk in anything that we do. Because we're all moody. So we need hayzuk. And seeing this, what I'm about to tell you, gives me hayzuk. And I'd like to share it with you. We all know the story of Abraham Avinu, a man who is super accomplished, 137 years old, has done everything that no human has ever, ever done. And now Hashem says, go sacrifice your son. He's 37 years old, I want him back. And he goes, and for days he's going, and all the challenges that he had. And he kept going. He had all different roadblocks. Hazal tell us, the Yetzirah tried everything to get him to turn around, to make it hard for him. To say, oh, I guess I can't do it. What should I do? Oh, there's a river ahead. Oh, I can't do it. You know how many times in life that happens? Yeah, no, I wanted to do it, but I couldn't. Why, why couldn't you? Because there was a car in front of me, I, I to go around the car. What, what does that mean? In life, very often we make excuses, but they're not, excuse, they're not really excuses. How many times has your son or daughter told you something? Oh, I couldn't go because, so you couldn't think of a solution to that? Come on. So Abraham was given every opportunity to turn back. But he didn't. And he made it all the way till the end. He's ready, the knife is ready, He's ready to slaughter his son. And the angel of Hashem says to him, Abraham, stop. Done. You're good. You don't need to touch him. Atayadati, I already know now who you are. No need. You're good. By the way, this event is the event that we turn to Hashem constantly to bless us and give us compassion because of that event. Every day we remember the Akedah. On Rosh Hashanah, the Akedah. On Kippur, the Akedah. It's a great moment in our history. What maybe we don't realize is the end of that story. Right after that story, right after that discussion with the angel, the Pasuk says, Vayisa Avraham et Ainav. Abraham raised his eyes, Vayar, and he saw, Vehine Ail Nehazba Sebach Bekarnaf. He saw 
in Isle, he saw a ram that had his his karnaim, had his warns caught. He got it was stuck. Vayelech Avraham, Avraham went, Vayikah et ha'ayil, and he took this ram, Vayalehu le'ola, and he brought him as a sacrifice, Tahat beno, instead of his son. So again, the story of the Akedah didn't end with the angel saying, no need. Right after that, he saw this ram, and he goes to sacrifice him instead of his son. Why does he have to sacrifice him instead of his son? Says the Seforno, Tahat beno, instead of his son, Temurat mashehaya belibo lizvoah et beno. Because he had it in his desire, in his heart, to sacrifice his son. Al derech, says the Seforno, Vedover emet bilvavo. Someone who in his heart is emet, which by the way is the foundation of the midah of ikviyut, is to be emet. What's the Seforno saying? He's asking, why did Hashem have to bring a ram for Abraham Avinu? For what reason? Why then? What was the purpose of that ram? You know what the answer is? The answer is that when you're a person who has this midah of ikviyut, then you have something that we all want in life. It's called siata dishmaya. Hashem says, I'm going to help you get to the end. If you have ikviyut, I'm going to hold your hand till the end. And even something that might be impossible, you would say, it can't be done. Hashem says, I'll make it done. I'll make it work for you. If you are consistent and you have ikviyut, I'm going to help you. Abraham couldn't sacrifice his son. It's over. That's it. It can't be done. He had ikviyut, but it wasn't possible to sacrifice his son. It's over. It's impossible to accomplish that sacrifice. Hashem says, okay, you know what? I'm going to give you something else to be able to finish the job. I will make sure that you finish the job. I give you an ayil so that you can finish what seems to be impossible. Notice that we blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. Why do we blow the shofar? To remember Akedat Yitzhak. To remember Akedat Yitzhak we should take a knife. We should take in every shul, the hazan should pick up a knife and maybe do hakafot with a knife. You're remembering Akedat Yitzhak with the ram's horn? What does the ram's horn have to do with anything? That's just a story that happened after the Akedah. That's not part of the Akedah. That happened later. What do we care so much about the shofar that came from the ram? That wasn't part of the story. Where is the knife that we should be showing people? Look at this knife. This is the knife that Abraham was using. Something like this. 
know what the answer is? The answer is that the ram was showing us the zechut of Abraham Avinu. And look how Hashem held his hand till the end. And he was able to sacrifice his son. He was able to finish the job through a ram. Hashem made it possible for him through that. It's not a man who tried to sacrifice. Hashem made it able to happen through a ram. Hashem says, this could, this could replace your son. And that's what we take on that day. We take the shofar that came from that ram. That ram was the end of the job that he started and he continued with it. Hashem says, if you really want to do something, I'm going to make it work. And even if it seems impossible, I'll make it happen. I'll replace Yitzhak in this ram. That's what Hashem did. He made Yitzhak the ram and the ram was sacrificed. And for that, we take this ram on Rosh Hashanah. That means every time we see the shofar, you're basically commemorating the ikviyut of Abraham Avinu. You're not just talking about a man who was willing to sacrifice his son. You are remembering a man that went all the way and didn't stop and Hashem helped him get to the very end even though it wasn't possible in the way it looks. And that's why, by the way, Abraham Avinu, the Gemara says, is compared... The Midrash says, excuse me, Avraham Avinu is compared to an etrog. Peri et hadar. A beautiful fruit. We know that's etrog. Says the Midrash, you know who's an etrog? Avraham Avinu. What? If someone called me an etrog, I don't know that I would be so excited about that. What does that mean? I'm an etrog? That's all I am? Call me a lulav? You call me a hadas? What does that mean? Obviously, there's something about an etrog that is so beautiful that Hashem says, you're the etrog. What's special about an etrog? Peri et hadar. Simply, it means a fruit of a tree that is beautiful. Hadar means beautiful. <laughs> but the Gemara says the word hadar can also be read hadar. Hadar means the one who lives. Lives? Yes. Hadar, the one who who stays on the tree from year to year. Etrog is very unique fruit. If you leave it on the tree, it never comes down by itself. Other fruits, you leave them at some point, the grip of the stem weakens and it falls. But the, hada, the etrog, you leave it, mishana, you ever see this huge etrogim? Where you know when they came from? Because they don't come off. If you leave it on, it doesn't come off. You have to pick it off. Hashem says, you're an etrog. You're peri etz hadar. You know what your beauty is? Your beauty is that you stay with it through and through. That is the greatness of Yaakov, of Abraham, Avinu. And that is the greatness waiting for every single one of us. I will just end off with this very, very, very... Simple. Hazal, in a Midrash, have a discussion. These are Tana'im that have a discussion. We may have mentioned this before. What is the most essential pasuk in the Torah? So one rabbi says, this is Ben Zoma, 
Ben Zoma says the most important pasuk in the Torah, something probably you could have guessed yourself, is Shema Yisrael Adonai Elohenu Adonai Echad. It's like uh, Judaism's national anthem. Every Jew knows Shema Yisrael Hashem Elohenu Hashem Echad. Great. Next rabbi says, Ben Nanas. Ben Nanas says, no, no, no. The most essential pasuk in the Torah Probably you could have guessed that one too. So they're fighting. Which one is the most essential? Is it, Again, I'm not really sure what the point of this is, but that's for a different discussion. Like what, why we have to know they're both essential. Well, why we have to know the most essential? It's like Americans, you know, like, what's your favorite food? Why do I have to have a favorite food? Why can I like, like a lot of things? But in America, you have to have a favorite everything. It doesn't matter. What's your favorite car? What's your favorite team? What's your favorite I don't, right, right, exactly. <laughs> I'm sure this was not an American kind of question. Like, what's your favorite pasuk? Like, like, what do you like the most? That's not what he was asking. There's something, obviously, that has relevance to why it should be the most important, but it's not for today. That would need a more, more of a discussion. But let's accept it now for face value. One says, Shema Yisrael. Who can argue with that? One says, Who can argue with that? And they're battling it out. Okay. Comes a third rabbi, and they're hoping he's going to come and decide which of the two is right, because who can argue with either one? Comes Shimon ben Pazi, this third Tana, and he says, Okay, guys, let me help you. It's not you, and it's not you. Whoa, what? You found another pasuk? That's more important than Shema Israel and Ahavtal Rakamocha? He says, Yes. Okay, which pasuk? He says, Etakeves ha'ehad ta'aseh ba'boker, ve'etakeves ha'sheni ta'aseh ben arbain. In the Beta Migdash, in the Mishkan, Am Israel is expected, is obligated to bring a sheep in the morning, Korban Tamid, for the morning sacrifice. And for the evening sacrifice, another one. That's why we pray shahrit and minha. Shahrit is for the morning korban, and minha is the afternoon korban. The keves of the morning and the keves of the afternoon. And everyone is staring at him. Did you lose your mind? What? What are you saying? What's he saying? That's the most essential pasuk in the Torah. You're right, it's a mitzvah, it's an important mitzvah. You bring every day a korban. What happened? Why is Shimon ben Pazi saying this is the most essential? And then shockingly, shockingly, after all that, Amar Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakai, he says, Halakha kemoto. Halakha is like the third one. Can't believe it. What is the third one? So what's unique about the third one is the word tamid. Tamid means always. It means every day, daily, never misses. Every morning, every afternoon, never miss. That is, says Shimon ben Pazi, the most essential thing. Perhaps that's what Rav Dasla means when he says ekviyut. Ekviyut means if you don't have consistency, if you don't stay with it, if you don't stay strong despite your mood, you're never going to have not Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, not Ve'aftal Dereach These are all beautiful concepts. And we agree that they're most beautiful. 
But if you don't have a kbiyut, you'll never be able to get there. So, in order to be able to change our midot, we said we have to do things for 40 days. But you can't do things for, you can't do things for 40 days if you don't have ikbiyut. You need to have ikbiyut to continue to follow through and practice it. You're not in the mood to do something, but you have to do it. Never allow someone to see that you're not in the mood. Never should someone think you came home and you're not in a good mood. Never should you give that attitude, even though you feel that way, because you're going to follow your brain and you're going to follow to do what's right and you will have siyata dishmaya. Hashem will give you the sacrifice even when there was no sacrifice. He'll bring you the aisle even though there's no one to sacrifice. He'll make sure you get it done because you have this beautiful midah. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.